Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. And we'll grab a seat, grab a seat. If you have a Bible, we are starting a new series this semester in the life of David. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel this morning, 1 Samuel starting in chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at some big chunks in chapters 8 through chapter 15. And so if you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's towards the front of your Bible, right after Judges, after Deuteronomy, after Numbers, before 2 Samuel, obviously, and Ezra and that sort of stuff. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to read a couple sections from from chapter 8 for us, and then we'll jump in. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this. Now when Samuel became old... He made his sons judges over Israel. But the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abinijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old, which is kind of a rough go, right? Like, hey... Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. That's the key phrase, like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. When when they said, give us a king over us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I thank you for a new semester, a fresh start. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this semester, we might see like God sees. We might want the things that God wants that we would look beyond the surface of life and be able to see deep down as to what is really going on just below the surface of circumstances. And Lord, I pray that as we study the life of David this semester, you would help us to have open hearts, open minds, that we might move alongside of you as we see beyond the surface of life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, several years ago, um, some friends of mine were college students, and they were so excited to move into this new house. I mean, it was a, they had been living in an apartment, and they really disliked the apartment. There's so many things about the apartment they disliked, and they're like, finally, we get to be in a house. And so they get into that new house that they're renting, and they're laying there that night. They'd move all their furniture in, and, uh, and they really hadn't looked much at the house. They were just excited that it had four walls and was standing and wasn't the apartment that they were living in. And so they get there, and that night they're, they're sleeping, and they hear some like scratching um, above them. And they're like, well, that's odd, scratching above me. And so they, they're like, I don't know about this. And then they looked in the pantry the next morning, and they noticed a lot of the food that they had just bought and moved in was uh, nibbled out, you know? And just like there was kind of open food kind of on the ground in the pantry. And they're like, oh, this isn't good. They're like, oh, crud. We probably got mice or something like that, right? So they buy some mouse traps and they put it up in the attic in some strategic locations, and they caught five or six mice night one. 
And they're like, oh, that's, that's terrible. But fortunately, we killed some mice. We're going to be all right. And so they go to the next night and they hear more scratching. And they start hearing things running in the walls. And, the, and they're watching TV one time and they see one scurry across the ground, right? And they're, they're going, oh my gosh, this is infested. Like, why didn't we, how did we not hear this earlier on? And, and so they call the landlord. They're like, hey, like this, this is getting out of control. And the landlord comes in. They're just like, well, just put up some more, more traps at first. And they put up more traps. They catch like five or six more mice. And they're like, okay, this is intense. And so they have an exterminator come in. And they were not brave enough to open up the attic. They open up the attic, and as soon as they peek their head in, they see all of these feet just scatter. Immediately, the exterminator comes back down and goes, yeah, boys, um, this is bad. This is probably one of the worst infestations I've ever seen. We're going to have to bring in a hose and suck them out along with all the insulation in here. It's a cool process of churning um, and moving uh, the, the carnage out of this place. And, and, and the process to which is so intense, you can't even live here anymore. So y'all got to go find a new place to live, and we will put this large suction device into the attic. It's going to tear out um, everything that's in there, including all of the, the insulation. And that is the only way to fix how deep this problem goes. And, of course, we'll bomb it and everything else. And, and the guys are going like, I wish we had known this on the front end. Right? <laughs> I wish we had looked beneath the surface, right? I wish we had done a little bit of time on the front end seeing how deep the problem actually went in this home. And I, as I think about that story, and I think about where we're going this morning, I go, that's just a perfect example of the problem of moving too quickly in life, of not actually doing your research, of actually not looking beneath the surface to see if this decision I'm making is this, if this direction that I'm going is actually the right direction, is it actually the right decision, or am I not taking the time to really look beneath the surface? Some of you have got job prospects, right? And you are hoping beyond all hope to get that internship, right? And you're just applying everywhere. Like anyone that wants a breathing body, you're like, please, just, I breathe, like help me to have that job, right? Or you're seniors and you're gonna be graduating and you're like... Second semester, spring, like you're, you're excited about spring, Kevin, but I'm not because my entire time at home at Christmas was answering this question. So you're graduating soon. What's next? And you're like, I'm just trusting the Lord uh, with this one. Um, I'm, just, I'm just trusting God with uh, my future plans. I don't want to hold anything too tightly. And right now I'm not holding anything. You know, I'm just, I'm just hoping that he comes through. And so you're, you're hoping for some job to pop into your lap and you're just wanting that next thing. Or, or some of you, you're, you're like, okay, it's spring. I'm a senior. Spring before spring is a real thing, people. Um, if I meet him now, maybe next week, I'll give him a week. Um, if I meet him now and we fall madly in love within 10 or 15 minutes, um, there could be the potential of something on my finger not just the graduation one. I want that one too, but another one to match. And, and then together we can have this future together. Just like if I don't find the Aggie now, odds are if I graduate and leave College Station, God, no, I just, I got to find someone. And there's all of these things within us to, to go, I've got to make this decision. 
And because this decision feels so pressing, because I don't like my current circumstances, I'll just take something. And the problem with that is this. If you don't look beneath the surface, if you don't look deep enough, you'll step into some situations that you do not want to be in. And I want to protect you from that. And God wants to protect you from that. And what we have here in, at this very beginning step in the life of David, really it's a background before we even get David, is this. The surface mistakes, the surface level decisions that led to deep mistakes in life. And I'll tell you what, that's what we see with this nation. See, Israel at this point in time is a loose confederacy. For over 150 years, they had been ruled by judges If you read the book of Judges right before this, it talks about different leaders that rose up and and brought freedom to the nation. And for 150 years, it was this loose confederacy of tribes, and sometimes they would be helpful, sometimes they wouldn't. And at this moment in time, Samuel is the last judge. He's the final judge in the series. And they look at at Samuel's sons, and, and they go, okay, your sons are not the quality of individual we want to lead us. And so they make a demand. They say, I, we want a king over us. Now, why? Well, Israel, if you look at it on a map, it's, it's right in the center of three major continents. You've got Africa, you've got um, Asia, and you've got kind of uh, Europe coming all in this central location. And it's this small little sliver of land in the middle of major world powers. And at this time, there was one particular enemy that's most prominent. It's called the Philistines. They were a seafaring people. They, they traveled along the ocean, and they were a terrifying, warlike nation. And at this point in history, you can do your research, they've come into this place, this land of Israel, and they are fighting the nation. They're wanting to own the land. They want to take possession of the land. And in that moment is when we meet Samuel, and we meet the nation of Israel, and their deep need. And what do they want? They want safety. They want security. They want life to go better, right? They want the, the things that you want in life. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know that my family's safe. I want to know that everything's taken care of. And they want that. And they see the future in Samuel's sons. And they're going, they're not going to bring us safely into the next place. What do we need to unite us? Well, they make a demand. And they say this, verse 4, the elders all get, of Israel all gathered together and came to Samuel at Ram. And they said, behold, you're old. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. What they say is this. We want someone to watch over us. We just want to be like everyone else, Samuel. We just want to be like everyone else, right? Everyone else has a figurehead. Everyone else has got a king that leads the whole thing. We just want to be like everyone else, Samuel. But see, what they don't realize is this. When you make surface-level decisions... You, you bring deep-level problems. So they demand a king. They want a king to protect them. And this service-level decision is basically saying this. I want to be literally... Can you go back one for me? I want to, go, I want to be like everyone else. And here's the problem. When you only look at the surface and just say, I want to be like everyone else, you're just choosing everyone else's problems. You're just going to have the same problems that everyone else has. Not only that, in verses 7 and 8, you see they're not rejecting Samuel's leadership. They're rejecting God's level of leadership. And if you just want to be like everyone else, here's what's going to happen in your life and in my life. 
you're going to suffer just like everyone else. So Samuel pulls the people aside. He prays to God and he goes back to the people. You can read this in chapter 8. And he says, look, here's the problem once you get a king. Like, he's going to make demands of you. He's going to ask for your land. He's going to ask for your sons. He's going to take them to war. Verse 15, he'll take a tenth of your grain from your vineyards. He'll take your male servants, your female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. And he'll take a tenth of all your flocks. And in that day, verse 18, you'll cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He says, what you're gonna, what's going to happen is you're going to get the king, and you're going to get, you're going to inherit all the problems that that king brings, and you're going to beg, please God, take him away, and God's not going to listen to you. Are you sure you want this? See, this happens all the time in life. You step into a new semester at Texas A&M, and there's something you want this semester. There's one thing that you want, and you're like, please, God, will you just give this to me? There's something you want. For some of you, it's to be in that organization, right? You've worked so hard. You had no friends in the fall. I'm so sorry. Glad you're here. Um, and now you're going, okay, I'm going to go out for that organization, right? I'm going to go to that team. I'm going to go part of that group. I'm going to go for that opportunity. And you're going to go into that organization and you're going to apply and you're just going to pray, please, please accept me. Let me be like everyone else. I just want to be like everyone else. I just want to be like everyone else, have everyone else's issues. And the problem is, once you walk into that organization, you get to peel back the surface and see, was this God's plan or was this really just my plan? Or you're going to want that date. And that person is going to come to you across as you swipe, right? They're going to be in your class and they're going to look nice enough, you know? And you're like, you've got most of your limbs and, and, you know, you just, you seem like a nice individual and you're just going to step into it because that hole in your heart, you just want to meet. Whatever it is, when you just make surface level decisions, the problem is you get deep, deep consequences because those problems become your problems. But here's the challenge. Here's the interesting part. Samuel warns them in verse 19, but the people refused to listen to them, to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we shall have a king over us, that we may be like all the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. What we want most, God, is not your plan. We want our plan. We want to be just like everyone else. And here's, here's the challenge, guys. There's so many decisions you make this semester that are just about moving with the crowd. There are so many decisions you'll make this semester that are just about following what everyone else is doing. And the challenge is God sometimes will give you what you ask for, not what you most need. Sometimes he'll give you exactly what you're asking for, but not what you most need. Um, Cynthia Heimel used to uh, write for the Village Voice. It was a New York newspaper. And she, uh, at times in New York, you come across lots of celebrities, lots of famous people. And she wrote this of the celebrities she came across. I pity celebrities. No, I really do. And she lists several famous ones that you would all know. And she says, once they were perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. 
I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish, then laughs merrily as you realize you want to kill yourself. She's not a believer. She says they worked, they pushed in the morning after each of them uh, to become what they wanted to be. That famous large overdose overtook them because, they, because that giant that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was also going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them personal fulfillment and happiness. It happened, and they were still them. And the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. So they got what they most wanted. And I love her little statement. I think when God wants to play a cruel joke on you, sometimes he gives you what you most ask for, not often what you most need. And in this moment, God gives them what they ask for. He gives them Saul. You know what the name Saul means in Hebrew? This is fascinating. The name Saul means this, you asked for it. When I read that, I thought that was so good. I'm like, the name Saul means you asked for it. Like you wanted it, you got it. And so God cursed them by granting their deepest wish. We just want a king like everyone else. And he gives them a king like everyone else. And we see him at first. He looks awesome. First Samuel chapter nine, starting in verse one, it says this. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zehor, the son of Ber- lots of sons. Okay, a Benjamite, a man of a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Oh man, this is the curse. Some of the girls are going, well, curse me, dad. You know, like what, what's going on here? Like, this is the curse. They see this guy and you look at him. He is, he's rich, right? His dad's got some cash. And so he's wealthy. He is taller than everyone else. Interestingly, um, taller people are more likely to make more money. There's been lots of studies on this. Sorry, short people, we can do this. But for, but if you're over six foot tall, you're more likely to make more money. People assume that you're a leader. This is true in studies. He is a head and shoulders taller than everyone else. And more than anything else, he's available, right? Single young man just happens to be wandering through. And they're going, here's the guy, man. He is tall. He is cute. And he is available. I don't think there's any way to go wrong here, right? And they pull him forward. But here's the problem. On the surface, Saul looked kingly, but they never looked below the surface. He is a surface level solution to your problem, but they never look below the surface. And here's the truth. If we aren't willing to listen to the voice of God and to look beneath the surface of our decisions, if we're only going by what we want, sometimes God in his passive wrath gives us what we most ask for, not what we most need. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes God wants to teach us a lesson. Sometimes God gives us what we're asking for just so we'll see how big of a problem it really is. So I was reading a book over the break and it's called The Power of Moments. And I've been referencing this book to everyone. So get ready. It's a good book. And in this book, there's a a point where it talks about uh, tripping over the truth, saying, 
there's points in life when, when we have so solidified our mind on, on an activity or something that we do that we refuse to see the truth until it's pushed right in front of our face. And so he gives a disgusting story to prove this point. So this is Disgusting Stories Sunday, right? Okay, so, so he talks about um, countries that um, don't have good sanitation systems and all the problems that come from not having good sanitation systems. In particular, he talks about um, particular countries that um, have open defecation. They practice open defecation. That means they don't have toilets, so they just kind of go anywhere. And so the World Health Organization were going like, well, how do we fix this problem? Let's do this. Let's put toilets in all of these villages that will help clean up the water. There won't be diseases that are spread because all sorts of diseases come when flies kind of bite you. And so they, they, they move forward in all of these movements to, to bring cleaner sanitation to help these villages. It's a great initiative. But what they found is the people would not use the toilet. They wouldn't stop using it. And so they started going around to these villages and they're like, why don't you want to use this? And some of the people were like, well, that, that toilet's cleaner than my house. Why would I go put that there, right? I'm not even going to do that. And they wouldn't use the toilet. And they're, they're like going, I don't understand. And then they would try to reason with them like, look, these, when you go anywhere, it causes disease. It's a problem. You ought not make those decisions. And the people were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't change. No one would change. And they're like, how do we get these people to change? Well, one organization said, all right, we're going we're gonna to go, and this is the hard way. And so they went to each village. They sent a representative with, an, with a notebook just to ask questions. And so he'd go along the village and say, hey, we're, we want to study the sanitation processes of lots of these villages, and so now we're going to study yours. And so a crowd would kind of gather as they see this individual walking through the village. And then he'd ask him, he says, okay, show me where people use the bathroom. And they would go to a typical location where they go. And then they would stand there over those things and, be like, and they would poke at it. They'd be like, um, is this yours? Have you, who, who's gone here today? And then people like would nervously laugh and kind of raise their hands like, yeah, we went over here. And, they're like, well, and they would just ask questions like, why is that yellow? Why is that green? They would ask questions about this. Does it always smell this bad? Are there always flies here? And they would let it go. And people would be like wanting to move on, but they wouldn't let it go. And then he'd ask more questions. Like, Where else do people go? And then they would kind of show them some other places. And he said, okay, does anyone, like, if you, if you can't make it to the bathroom, like, you have some sort of stomach virus, like, where do you go in that moment? And then they would point, like, well, just maybe right out the door of my house, that sort of thing. And then they would draw a map on the ground. He said, I want you to draw a map of our village, and I want you to take this yellow chalk and sprinkle it in all the places where, we, where you use the restroom. So by that time, kids are out here, the whole village is out there, like, sprinkling yellow chalk everywhere. And they look at this, and they're like, okay, I, I want to do an experiment with you guys. Um, can I have a glass of water? And take a glass of water. He said, hey, do you think this is a clean glass of water? And they would say, yeah, that looks like a clean glass of water. And then he pulls out a hair from his head. Now, you have to have hair to like, do this thing. But they, he pulls out a piece of hair from his head. And he goes, um, now, does that, can you see that hair? And they're like, no. And he takes his hair. He puts the glass down. He walks over, and he rubs it in um, their stuff. He brings it back. He puts it into the cup. And hands it to him and says, are you willing to drink that? And they're like, no, that's disgusting. And he goes, anyone else? Anyone else willing to drink that? And they're like, no, this is terrible. And then he goes, he goes have you ever seen a fly? I'm like, yeah, well, how many legs does a fly have? Like six. Do you know that there's little hairs on every one of those fly legs? 
and they land here, and they land on your food. When the fly lands on your food, do you, do you throw the food out? And they're like, no. Like what? So you've been eating one another's for decades. And the people, by that point, they're like uncontrolled. They're like, what are we doing? Something's got to change. And, th- and they ask, like, well, what should we do? And they, he says, well, it's your village. You, you know better than we do. What do you all want to do? And it was at that moment when they finally realized how bad the situation is that they're finally willing to make a change. That is what God is doing with Saul. He says, you want to be like everyone else. You want to make your decisions like everyone else. Here, make the decision, get to experience what it's like to live with this person, with this, these deep character issues in his heart. And the challenge with that is, is this. The people, as they were asked about this process, they said, you know, we all knew it was a problem. We all knew that. Just we weren't ever willing to confront one another. We weren't ever willing to change. And sometimes in God's passive wrath, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And he gives them Saul, literally, what they were asking for. And in chapter 10, we see the beginning of his demise. Chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. He was selected as, as going to be king. In chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Now Samuel gathered all the people of the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of, out of Israel and in Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms who are oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saved you from all of your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. So verse 20, so then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near it by its clan and the clan of the, the, the Matrites and, and taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, He could not be found. Verse 22, so they inquired of the Lord again, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So Saul told him in the previous chapter, you're going to be king. You're the next guy. And when this moment came for him to stand in front of the people, he's hiding with the baggage. See, he was supposed to be this perfect figure, this perfect king to lead them. But when the responsibility comes for him to step up, he's hiding in the baggage. It's, it's crazy. And you're like, well, was he just humble? Well, we see that later on when Goliath comes, Saul's going to take the same stance. He's going to be hiding in the back, not willing to take a step forward. But not only that, he's one that acts impulsively. He starts fighting war, starts defeating some people. And in chapter 13, there's a moment when the Philistines are surrounding him. And it's, it's terrifying. They're, they're coming forth. In verse 6 of chapter 13, he says this. Now, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and holes and rocks. And some of the Hebrews crossed the fjords to the Jordan, to the land of Gad and Gilead. Now, Saul was still at Gilead. And he waited seven days, the appointed time by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering before him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? 
And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the appointed days and that the Philistines had mustered their army, well, I forced my hand and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. He acted rashly. Like he's supposed to be a king to fight. And he's supposed to be one that follows the Lord. And he took a responsibility that wasn't his. He, he offered a burnt offering that was only reserved for, for Levites and priests to do. And so he takes it on himself. And he says, he says, look, if anyone's to blame here, it's either the people because they were leaving or it's because of you, Samuel, because you came too late. See, he removed himself from responsibility. We see his flaws. He shrinks from responsibility. He acts impulsively. And thirdly, in chapter 15, you see him directly disobey God. He was supposed to enact a, a move in which he was supposed to defeat an entire nation and to sacrifice some of their belongings. And instead of doing that, he keeps some of the best for himself. And then we see his true character come out. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, Samuel confronts him. He says, look, you're not obeying God. Like, you've been making all of these mistakes along the way. You're not obeying anyone, obeying God at all. And we see his character come to the surface. Verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people, and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow down before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned away to go, and Samuel seized him by the robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from Israel from you this day, and has given it to your neighbor of yours, who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie with him. Verse 30, you see Saul's heart. Then he said, I've sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before your God. You see what Saul's concern is? His concern isn't, oh, I've, defeat, I've, I've disobeyed God in this. His concern isn't, oh, I've led the people in the wrong direction. I haven't been a good model in which to follow the Lord. He says this, return with me so that I will be respected. I will look good to the people in power. See that I'm respected in front of the elders. Isn't that tragic? Why don't you think it for a moment? When someone confronts you for a sin that you have, what's your response? Is it, do I need to protect my, my exterior, protect the way that I look, or am I deeply hurt because it actually hurt God? When someone confronts you, is it, is it, is it only a surface-level repentance, or is it something that you go, I, gosh, I, I wish my heart was aligned with God's. I, I, I'm so sad that I, that I disappointed God. I'm so sad that my life doesn't line up with the desires of God. You see, the people wanted a surface-level solution, and so God gave it to them. And by getting the surface-level solution, they've got all the problems with that surface level follower of Christ. For many of you, if we stay at surface level decisions, what will happen is God will give it to you. You'll get it. And then you inherit 
all of the deep problems. You know what God does in his mercy sometimes? He gives you what you most ask for. And you get to see the consequences of getting what you wanted. This is tragic. This happened for me when I was... uh, My second job. I'm not going to give much of the details because I want to protect those people. But I just wanted a job. I just wanted a job. And I literally didn't care where I got the job. And I got the job and I'm part of this organization. And then I start talking with the people within the organization. And then I start seeing the deep problems within that organization. I started looking at the, the way that they're making decisions, the things that they're affirming, the things that they're not affirming. And, and I stand there and I'm like, I'm like can, I even, can I even operate within this system? And I remember I, we were only going to be there for a short amount of time. And I, and I remember praying to God going, God, I'm sorry I wanted this so bad. Because if I knew all the problems that I was going to inherit I would not have stepped forward so blindly. For some of you, I, I, know, I know ladies, some of the most painful moments in your life have been by entrusting yourself to this guy that so broke your heart. And you're like, but he looks so good in those jeans. And you're like, yeah, and that was about it. That was about all there was there, you know? Some of you have testimonies of friends. They're guys, you're like, they're just going after this girl, going after this girl, going after this girl. And, just, and you're, everyone else around them is going like, I don't know if that's a good decision. You're like, what do you know? We are in love. And you're like, yeah, but the rest of us see some deeper challenges going forward. And, you're, and they go. And you see the problems that incur. I'm telling you, if you make surface level decisions, you inherit deep level consequences. One of the worst things God can do is to give you what you most ask for. And they do. They get Saul as king for a couple decades. They endure Saul. He wasn't a man after God's heart. He was a man after the people's heart. And what's interesting, though, is that God doesn't leave them there. He moves. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, you see God's plan. He says this, But now your kingdom shall not continue. But the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept the command of the Lord. You know what God's going to do? He says, I'm going to let this play right out. But I'm going to have someone else in preparation. I'm going to let this run its course, but I'm going to have someone else here ready in the wings. Instead of looking for a guy after your heart, I'm going to look for a guy after my heart. I'm going to find someone in the midst who is, who is the king that, that you're not looking for, but he's who you need. He's the solution you're longing for. You're wanting a king to lead you. This is the king. And let me tell you what, it's not about the exterior. It's about the interior. It's not about what's on the surface. There's something in this guy's heart, and that's what matters most. And we get to meet that king next week. And he's not going to come impressive. He's going to look lowly. He's going to look insignificant. On the exterior, he's not going to look as kingly as Saul. But I'll tell you what, there's something going on inside his heart that God says, that's my man. So what do I want for us this semester? I want us to be people 
that look deeper than the surface. And how, do we, how can we be those types of people? And I want you to go on this journey with me this semester. The first thing is this, that we would listen to the voice of God. See, the first problem that these people face is that all they were saying is, we just want to be like everyone else, and we're not going to listen to the voice of God. The first challenge I want to give you this semester is this, to carve out time where you're going to listen to the voice of God. And here's the cool part. You've got a great opportunity tomorrow. Monday, you've got nothing. Grab some time. You're laughing. You're like, i got to work, whatever. You've got some free time tomorrow. You grab 15 to 20 minutes. You grab your journal, and you say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to listen to you this semester. And here are all the decisions I've got to make. Here's all the challenges that are coming in front of me. And Lord, I'm going to lay those challenges before you. I'm going to lay those decisions before you. And I want you to speak into this situation. And then there's a second miss that they had. They refused to listen to wise counsel. They refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. So the second thing I want you to do is I I want you to take your decisions, your big decisions, and I want you to bring them before wise counsel. I want you to let that person speak into your life. And that may be some roommates. That may be some older folks. That may be your table hosts. That you actually bring these big decisions before them and say, you know what? I'm going to let people wiser than me speak into my life. And then the third step is going to be really hard. This is going to be challenging. Because you can pray about it. You can let other people speak into it. And then you can stop there and go, I I let people have their, their say. I'm still going to do what I want. Step three is wait for God's solution. You see, God had his man in the wings. Was wanting a king the wrong thing? No. Wanting the king that they wanted in their way, that's what was wrong. The, next, the third step I want to give you is this. Are you willing to wait for God's solution? Are you willing to say, this is what I want. These are the people that have weighed in on the decision around me. And I'm going to be patient and let God move and not move too quickly. One of the the greatest points of wisdom I've gained in my time at Grace Bible Church is this. And it's a really frustrating part of being at Grace, just to be honest. Um, It's the pace of change. It's extremely slow. I'm from the city, right? I'm used to things happening yesterday. You know, like just move, 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 except in traffic, you know, from Houston. So we'll just, we'll sit, sit, sit. But then like everything else is just move, move, move. Like I'm, I'm ready for things to move quickly, like exciting things. And, and I've talked to some wise men. And they said, well, look, here's, here's the best thing you can do, Kevin. You can wait until people are ready and move more slowly because God moves through community. And God moves the right people in at the right time to move what you want to have go forward. Or he's going to reshape what you want to be in line with what I want. And both of those things just take time. Well, let's be honest. As college students, 20 to 22, we're like, I don't have time, Kevin. Time is always on your side. Time is always on your side. I need a job. Time is on your side. I need the one. Time is on your side. I need a new roommate. Time is on your side. I need a new house to live in next semester. If nothing else, hear hear the rat story. Time is on your side. And would you commit this semester to working on your heart? Say, I'm going to align my heart with God's heart. Ultimately, 
this whole process is this. I want to align my heart with what God is doing. If I'm there, then this semester, the things that God has in front of us, the opportunities that are in front of you, the excitement that 2018 can really bring will bring you right into a line with what God wants, and that will lead you right where you need to be. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I pray that we could be people that look beyond the surface, that we see these are the things that I want, Lord, and not be ashamed of them, not be scared of them. These are the things that I want. I need a career. I, need, I want community. I want someone around me to, to, to love me. Those aren't bad things. But Lord, sometimes in wanting what we want, we move too rashly, too quickly. I pray, Lord, that, that we could learn from the people of Israel. We can see that there are real problems in the world. There are real needs in the world. And what the world needs are Christians that are aligned with your heart, Lord. And that if we're aligned with your heart, we'll move in step with you. And that as we make decisions that are infused by you, that are guided by you, it will produce the life we most want and the world most needs. So Lord, I pray that as we transition to discussion, you would help us to gain insight into one another's lives and we would help one another move forward together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn to your tables and have some great discussion.